0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. If you could stand to honor the reading of God's Word, that would, be, that would be great. We stand to honor the reading of God's Word because we believe it to be God's Word, the Bible, as God's Word. It is inspired, it's authoritative, and uh, I have nothing good to offer you outside of this book, and so that's why we stand to honor the reading of it. We're in the Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, and so if you would like to read out loud or recite out loud the Lord's Prayer, the words will be on the screen. There is a Bible on, under the seats uh, in front of you and behind, and, and the one that you're sitting on, or uh, you can look at your digital device. This is the word of the Lord, Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You may be seated. I don't know about you, but when I hear a sermon on the will of God, sometimes it can feel awkward, sometimes it can seem as though... You know, not just a sermon, but maybe somebody telling you what the will of God is for your life, it might feel like, oh, this person's will, this person's confusing his or her will for the will of God you know, for my life. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. But that's where we're at in the Lord's Prayer. Your will be done. Your will be done. Like, what does that mean? So this is the third petition in the Lord's Prayer. You know, I, I said at the beginning of this section in the sermon series on the Lord's Prayer that the first petition, which is hallowed be your name, is served by the following five petitions you know, that, that come after it. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You know, give us our day, our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have you know, uh, uh, who've sinned against us or our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. And so I, I, I talked about how each of those statements serve that hallowing of God's name. You know, your kingdom come, for the hallowing of your name. Your will be done, for the hallowing of your name, and so and so on. You know. But the other thing I want to point out to you is that there, you can divide this, this, the Lord's prayer into three or into two sections. There's the first three, and there's the second, and there's the the the, the following, you know, three. The first three petitions are Godward, and this will help you understand. I think that's you know your will be done. The first three petitions are Godward. If you look at, in the scripture if you look in you know at this Lord at the Lord's prayer here the first three include the pronoun your and then the following three which we will look at we we'll begin to look at next week include the pronoun us you know the first three is Godward the following three concern our well-being and so this is the last one that's Godward this is the last one that, that focuses our attention on who God is uh, before we get into the section of this model that Jesus gave us for praying concerning our needs. Your will be done. Well, what will? Your will as it lines up with your kingdom, your, your kingdom purposes. Um, your will in heaven you know, and on earth. May your will be done. May your will be done in this nation. May your will be done in my life, in, in, in your life. So this is how Jesus you know, models for us the, this prayer. But like I said, it, it, it could feel like you know, the pastor is kind of pointing his finger at you. You submit to the will of God. You need to submit to the will of God. It reminds me of a story I read earlier this week about a pastor who went to the doctor to figure out what's going, what was going on with his, his arm, his, his shoulder. He could hardly move his his arm, because his shoulder had so, it was just, had so much pain in his shoulder. And uh, so he, he finally went to the doctor, and the doctor told him, you have frozen shoulder. And he was like, well, what does that mean? Well, it just means that you're getting old, and you, you have frozen shoulder. You're, you're, your shoulder's just jacked up. And so um, what I could do, the doctor said, what I could do is I could, I could give you uh, well, I'll prescribe for you physical therapy because you, you'll need that, but just to kind of take the edge off of the pain, I can give you a shot. I can give you a steroid shot, a cortisone shot, you know, right into the joint of that shoulder. And so the pastor said, well, go for it. You know, you know, let's let's get it done. And so he did. As the doctor was administering these shots in his, in his shoulder, um, the pastor said, he, he, and this is his words, he said, I... I you know, the, the doctor asked, well, what do you do for a living? And so he told him, the, the, the pastor said, well, I'm a minister. I preach for a living. Then I asked him, you know, um, do you have a church that you attend? And the doctor said, no, I gave that up long ago. So he, and then he go, <laughs> then the doctor said, now listen, um, just relax a little bit here, and we'll, we'll get that joint all loosened up so that you can continue to point your finger at people. And so... I don't know if that's a true story or not, but it made me laugh. Um, and it might feel that way with a sermon on the will of God. You know, submit to the will of God. You know, this is the will of God for your life. And I've certainly had people in my life tell me what the will of God for my life was. I just looking back, it wasn't really God's will for my life. It was what that person's will was for my life. And so my hope for you and also for me this morning is that you'll be helped you know, by this sermon. The first thing is that determining the will of God for your life can be complicated, right? Sometimes it's clear as mud, isn't it? Sometimes when you're trying to figure out, what is, the God, what is God's will for my life? Sometimes it's clear as mud, especially if, it's, if, if there's nothing... If the decision has nothing to do with a moral decision, it's just maybe it's a new job, or maybe it's you know a a different house, maybe a maybe another city, or 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 whatever, maybe a a new car or a used car. Sometimes those decisions seem pretty pretty much clear as mud, right? And so it, it can be complicated. There's a story in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 20 through 21. For me, when I think of just trying to figure out what the will of God is for your life, this story really kind of helps me understand just how complicated sometimes that could be. So the Apostle Paul spent about three years in Ephesus, uh, enough time to, to build a relationship with, with these people in Ephesus, and it got to the point where he believed and felt the call of God to go to Jerusalem, to leave Ephesus and go to Jerusalem. So so he did. But before he did that, he met with the elders of that church in Ephesus, of the church in Ephesus, and he warned them. He, he said this. He, the words will not be on the screen. You can look it up sometime when you get a chance. But he said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. I share that with you just because the role of an elder is very serious. Um... You know, we have a group of elders at Meadowbrook, and the, our role is to, to govern and to shepherd and to guard the church. And so Paul warned them, you know, when I leave, there are going to be wolves who are going to come, and they're going to try to disrupt the things that God is doing you know, in your church. So he said, um, care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And, um, and so then Paul prayed with the elders as they were, you know, as they were going to say goodbye to him. And he said, when he said these things, we read in Acts chapter 20, verse 36, if you're taking notes, he said, when he, when he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. The elders believed that it was God's will for Paul to go to Jerusalem. But saying goodbye to him was really complicated. It was really difficult. The time when I met with the elders of Missio Dei Fellowship, the church I planted, it took me six months to convince them to let me go, and then that final elder board meeting we had was in April, and when they finally asked me, "What do you need?" And I, I said to them, "You need to let me go." And they agreed. They, we wept, we cried. and uh, you know this, this story has had a special meaning in my life, but Paul did that and, he, and so he was sent off by the elders, he got on the ship, departed. And uh, you know, in those days, it wasn't like you got a one-way ticket to wherever you were going. You went wherever the ship was going, and uh, and so if that meant the ship needed to stop in one city or that city or another city, you were you had to go with the sh- wherever the ship went. And uh, eventually, Paul would wind up in Jerusalem. So he uh, the ships you know, docked in Tyre, which is a city. And you know, unloaded his cargo and was there entire for about seven days. And why it was there? Uh, in Acts chapter twenty-one, verses one through four, we learn that there were Christians who, who through the Spirit, meaning they anticipated what was coming for the Apostle Paul in Jerusalem, and they were telling Paul not to don't go to Jerusalem. So here you had elders who prayed over him, said, "Yes, Paul, we agree with you. God is sending you to Jerusalem." And they cried over that. Then he winds up in Tyre. And he meets with a group of Christians for seven days, and they say, "Don't go to Jerusalem because you, you're going to go, and it's not going to end well for you there." But Paul, you know, met with them, and then he gets back on the ship, and they go to uh, the the ship stops off at a place in Caesarea, and he stayed. We're told there for many days. So he winds up hanging out with a guy by the name of Philip, who you read about. In, in Acts. He was a deacon. He was an evangelist. And he hangs out with him and, de- and, and Philip got some daughters who, who have the gift of prophecy, spiritual gift of prophecy. So they speak into his life and then there was this other person Agabus who stopped by to tell Paul, he basically said let me see your belt and let me see you know, your, your tunic or whatever and, and he binds himself up and he says this is what they're going to do to you in Jerusalem and when When the people heard this, in Acts chapter 21, verse 12, we read these words. When we heard this, and we and the people there urged Paul, urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Don't do it, Paul. You're going to be arrested in Jerusalem, and you will probably wind up dead as a result. And Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And, we're, and this is what we read. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. So I, it's just a really beautiful story in Acts that highlights the complicated nature of just discerning the will of God. Because discerning the will of God, there, there are clear things in the Bible where discerning the will of God is pretty much black and white. God says, like his word says, do not commit adultery. That's black and white. What is the will of God for your life if you're married? Do not commit adultery, right? Do not have any other idols. What is the will of God for your life? Do not have any other idols. But when it comes to just taking you know, those steps of just following Jesus as, a follow, as his follower, a lot of your life as, a, as his follower is pretty much like clear as mud sometimes in, discern, in discerning his will. And it's subjective. You know, like the, this, the urging of the of Holy Spirit. I, I've said this before. There is, when you become a Christian, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. That happens when you become a Christian. Uh, when you become a Christian, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. These are one-time, event, one-time events. But the one thing that's a reoccurring event in your life is being filled with the Holy Spirit. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit has more of you, not you having more of the Holy Spirit. It's when the Holy Spirit has a hold of your heart. If you want to hear the Spirit move in your life, if the, the direction of the Holy, you know, the Holy Spirit, giving direction to your life, the best way to experience that is when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. That comes when God has more of you, not the other way around. right? You have all the Holy Spirit you could possibly ever want or need that God has gifted to you if you're a Christian. And so... As you're being filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit may place in your heart you know, a, a prompting where he wants to lead you to do something or say something to another person, share a scripture passage. Or, and so, so those are some really great experiences where, where the Holy Spirit, in a miraculous way, uses you to accomplish his will. But sometimes it's clear as mud. And trying to communicate that to some people, like, hey, this is what the Holy Spirit is leading me to do, sometimes that's, that can be very difficult. Because not everybody will see it that way. That's why I love this story in Acts chapter 20 through 21. Not everybody saw it Paul's way. But at the end of the day, what was the will of God for the Apostle Paul? To go to Jerusalem. What happened to Jerusalem? He was exactly what the prophet and prophet said about what happened to him. He was arrested, he was bound, and he eventually wound up in Rome, and then he was beheaded. But there's a lot in between that time that God was using Paul to accomplish, you know, for the purpose of accomplishing his will in Paul's life and in the lives of of the Christians and people who would wind up becoming Christians as a result. I share that before I go into the will of God. (laughs) You know, what is the will of God for all things? That's That's my second point. What is the will of God for all things? Well, God's will is attributes of him he is sovereign right he is we, we've looked at this you know our father who is our father he is elohim he is yahweh he is what adonai he is the sovereign one all that he wills he does he doesn't get frustrated i said that last week god does not get frustrated it's impossible for a sovereign god to get frustrated does he get angry yes does he get frustrated no why? Because all that he wills, he accomplishes. All that he determines, he does. And so what, is, you know, what, is, what then is the will of God? One, one theologian said this, that the will of God is the attribute of God whereby he approves and determines to bring about every action necessary for the existence and activity of himself and creation. Uh, you've heard me say this. I said it last week, and I've said it you know, previously, that God has written the script of all human history. I believe that with all my heart. He is sovereign. For Him to 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 not have done that would mean that He is not sovereign. So He is sovereign, and He He has ripped, He's written the script of history, and we are players in that script. Every single one of us in this room and watching the live stream. He is sovereign. That's good news. It's good news that He doesn't get frustrated. It's good news that he governs the universe. It's good news that he's Adonai. In Ephesians chapter 1, we get a glimpse of, of the big picture of God's will. And I'll have the words on the screen. It says, in him, that is in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. I love that word, lavished. He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. The mystery of his will. And he goes on to say, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. This is is the big picture of God's will for all of mankind and creation. Things in heaven and things on earth in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to, listen, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So what is God's will for your life? Well, Paul, echoes, he tells us here in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 12. Like, this is his will for your life. His will for your life lines up with his will for his kingdom. You know, the, the preceding, Petition was your kingdom come. Well, so I'm praying for your kingdom to come. What it was So what does that mean? Well, it means also your will be done in my life in my heart He's working all things according to the counsel of his will You know, um, what is the will of God? For starters it includes your salvation and redemption It includes your your personal holiness your sanctification Ultimately, God's will is this to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. That's verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 1. Yeah, what is His will? Well, Romans chapter 11, verse 36 tells us this. And, you know, let's read this together. Ready? For from Him and through Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Well, what else is His will? What does that mean? Well, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 says that. Within God's will, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. Which, you might not know this, but a lot of scholars believe that this section in Colossians is actually a part of an early church hymn that Paul included in his letter. It says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and what? For him. That's the will of God. God. Right? All things were created through him and for him. Well, what else? According to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, we, we exist for God. Let's read this together. Ready? For us, there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. This is the will of God. This is like big picture. This is the will of God for your life. Like he's doing this thing in history and his will for you is to be a part of this thing that he's doing in history. And and the reality is is that we really don't have much of a say in it. He's doing it. He's going to do it. Where is the will of God moving all of human history? Well, there's a really great verse in the old testament book Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Your kingdom come for the hallowing of your name. Your will be done in my life. What does that look like, Jesus? Well, it looks like Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. He's doing this in and through your life and in the, in through the lives of others. In Malachi, which I pointed your attention to a couple of weeks ago, and I believe last week, Malachi chapter 1, verse 11, well, how's he going to do it? Well, from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. This is his will for your life and for my life. From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great. Not just in the nations, but in your life and in my life. His name will be great. He is spreading the renown of his name among the nations, and we are, are, are participants in that. That's what he's doing. That's why, you know, last week I said, We are not building small kingdoms. Our heart is prone to build small kingdoms. We want to put ourselves in the center of God's universe. That's what we're inclined to do. But God is the center of his universe. And when we pray, your kingdom come, we are putting our hearts in check according to this model that Jesus gave us for praying that it's not about me and it's not about you. It's about him and what he's doing in the world. From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. How is God working out his will among the nations? Well, he changes times and seasons according to his will, right? Right? He sets up kings and he removes them according to his will. Read Daniel chapter 2 sometime or or chapter 4 sometime. Yeah, We learn in Romans chapter 9 verse 18. I know this is hard to hear, but it's here. This this includes his will. He has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills for his glory and for the good of, uh, of those who he is redeeming. We also know of his will that he his desires that none shall perish. In second Peter chapter three, verse nine, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should what? Reach repentance. That is his will for, for the nations, this is his will for your neighbors, this is will for your family members, it's his will for your co workers. You're wondering, what is the will of God for those you know, in my little world? That's what his will is for those in your little world, your neighbors, your job, your family. In obedience to the will of God, Jesus took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, lived among mankind, and set his face towards the cross. Why? Because it was the will of the Lord. Why did he do it? So that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is the will of God. Of the Father's will, Jesus said this in John chapter 6. He, says, he said this, he said, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, and this is the will of him who sent me. What is it, Jesus? Well, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's the will of God for for your life, for your neighbors. And when Jesus was in Gethsemane, hours between his life and the cross, where he would die upon that cross, he prayed, Abba, Daddy, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. But then how did he conclude that prayer? Yet not what I will, but what you will. Not everything in your life that falls into God's will for your life is painless. Like that's why you have some, some false teachers who teach some really dangerous things. Like God intends for you to be rich and to ha- experience a pain-free life and to have everything go your way. That is not what the scriptures teach. God's will for your life is his glory and your good. That's his will for your life and for my life. And sometimes, to be honest with you, when you're experiencing his will for your life as he's pruning and as he's molding and as he's shaping, it sucks, right? But he's doing something beautiful and amazing in the midst of that. And so Jesus went to the cross within the will of the Father that included suffering and torture and pain and even death. Of Jesus' death, Peter testified just seven weeks after Jesus' resurrection before some of the same people who celebrated his crucifixion Peter said this he said men of Israel hear these words Jesus of Nazareth a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst God did it (laughs) as you yourselves know this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan of Pontius Pilate is that what he said according to the definite plan of the religious leaders that hated Jesus is that what he said No, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of who? God. The the will of God is such good news. It is good news that he is Adonai, that he is governing and guiding in your life. He said, God in his will and his definite plan delivered Jesus up to the cross but you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So he didn't remove them from, he didn't remove, the, the, during Pentecost, he didn't remove these people from blame. God used their evil intentions to accomplish his good, which God often does. He always does. He's always turning it around. doesn't mean he's the author of evil, but he's able to take some of the ugliest things in your life and turn it around for, for, for good, for your good and for his glory. Now Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and it is the will of God that all the nations will hear and obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what's happening now. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Matthew 24, he said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. How do we know that's going to happen? Because God has decreed it. He's Adonai. He will accomplish his purposes in this world and for your life. All of heaven and the redeemed will sing the song of Moses, as is the testimony and celebration uh, to the fact that, that God, all that God wills, he does. Revelation chapter 15, is that like, it's, it's just, This is what it says. Let's read this together. Ready? Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Like there's coming a time where we will celebrate the will of God we will celebrate that God is Elohim. He creates out of nothing. He is Yahweh. He, 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 he's faithful when we are faithless. And he is Adonai. He is the sovereign one. We will all be in heaven one day and we will hold up our cup and we will say, remember when God did this in my life or when he did that. We will give testimony to those things. He's going to do what he is determined to do. And that is good news. And Ephesians chapter one verse eleven, it, the words are not on the screen. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. And if He did that in your life, if He did that in your life, which He did, if you're a Christian, He's done. He did that in, this, in your life. Ephesians chapter one verse eleven is about you. It's about me. He's doing something amazing in your life. He's got this. He sees you. He's he's turning it around for, for his glory, and for your good. And and sometimes that's all you have to hold on to. That is all that you have to hold on to. I remember this woman um, who uh, was a coworker of my father's, who was just a just a godly woman, loved Jesus and uh, she had lung cancer and in her hospital bed she said, I will either wake up and be healed or I will wake up and be in the presence of the Lord. And you know what? She woke up and she was in the presence of the Lord. Because God is good. All that He wills, He he does. And, And this is why He links this your will be done in his model for how we are to pray may your will be done because man left to my own devices i just i mess up my life i'll make a mess of my life you know, my heart is inclined to make little little kingdoms out of out of things that don't matter my heart is inclined to make you know good things that god has has, has gifted into ultimate things and to make them into idols. My heart is inclined to make a mess of my life. But God is bigger than my mess. He's Adonai. He's Adonai. So this leads to the third point, and that is, what is the will of God for your life? Don't worry, I'm not going to be pointing my finger. <laughs> um, What is the will of God for your life? There are, within the will of God, there is his revealed will, and then there is his secret will. His revealed will is just the Ten Commandments. That's his revealed will. Worship him. Submit your life to him. Honor him with your your life. Love your neighbors. Don't covet. You know, that's His revealed will. Like He created you for a purpose, and that purpose is rooted in who He is. It's where real joy and satisfaction, you know, flow from from our relationship with this God who is Elohim, Yahweh, and Adonai. That's His revealed will. Um, when we pray, "Your kingdom come," we are praying that we are, pray- we are praying for the obedience of the nations to the revealed will of God the Father. We are also praying for the obedience of our own heart to the revealed will of God the Father, that we are praying, Lord, I know my heart, and I am praying for help that my heart lines up with your heart and, and, and what you call good. That's his revealed will. His revealed will is that he's established his kingdom and it's coming to earth one day. And where heaven and earth will become one. And there will be one king. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. It's Jesus Christ. And all knee, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to him. That is God's revealed will for your life and for my life. Like, listen. God will never lead you to do anything that is contrary to his character. Living with your boyfriend or girlfriend is not God's will for your life. Because it's because you love that person. Or cheating on your taxes is not God's will for your life because you think the government's jacked up. Like God's will for your life lines up with his character. And so as we pray, Your kingdom come, Your will be done. We're praying for the obedience of the nations. We're also praying for our own heart because we know. That the only hope of the nations is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that will change hearts. Not legislation, not the next president, not some politician. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ through the power of his Holy Spirit will lives be transformed, right? And so that's why Paul wrote Romans chapter 1 verse 16 in the context of God handing, the pe- handing people over to their depraved desires, their wicked intentions. You know, he said men will, you know, will, will have sex with men and women will, will with women. He said that's all going to happen and there's other things that are going to happen and God's just going to hand them over to their depravity, to the longings of their heart. But he said in the context of that, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That is the hope of the nations. That is God's revealed will. And as we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven for the hallowing of your name, for the renown of your name. We are praying for his will in our lives. So what is God's will for your life? Well, I could tell you. There's actually a chapter and verse for God's will for your, for your life. It's in, it's in uh, 1 Thessalonians, I believe, chapter 4. Ready? Let's, let's read this together. For this is the will of God, your sanctification... That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Let's go on. That no one transgresses and wrongs his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Like, pretty clear. What is God's will for your life? Holiness. Holiness. Your personal holiness. It's in a book that I read, um, Jesus-Driven Ministry, by by a pastor by the name of Ajith Fernando. I believe that's his last name. And he said, this, I underlined it in the book. He said, he was writing to pastors. He said, you want to know the greatest gift you can give your family, pastor? And this is true for all of you men. Um, your own personal holiness. Your own personal holiness. God, That's God's will for your life. Like, what is his will for your life? 1 Peter chapter 1 says this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you At the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. What is God's will for your life? Holiness. Holiness. Well, how do you get there? Keep your eyes on Jesus, follow Him. Jesus said, The way you get there is in John chapter 15, abide in me, and I will abide in you. And as you abide in me, the the longings of your heart will begin to reflect God's heart for your life. And all that you pray, you'll pray prayers in line with God's will for your life. That's his will for your life, is that you line up with Jesus. It looks like the Sermon on the Mount. You know I was thinking about this a little bit, this just the messiness it seems like it seems messy on our end when we're looking at the will of God doesn't it like doesn't it seem messy sometimes? like sometimes you just try to figure out what is God's will for my life and then and then you know when you sense that God is leading you in a certain direction, it just seems kind of messy sometimes. I was thinking about the apostle Paul, you know what he said about his life? He said this he said he, now Galatians. In your New Testament, in the New Testament, Galatians is believed to be one of the first letters, if not the first letter, that the Apostle Paul wrote. And um, it's, it, it reads that way, too. Like it, when you read Galatians and you read Second Timothy, where Second Timothy was written towards the end of Paul's life, there's like a 30-year gap there. And um, the tenderness of Second Timothy is, is not quite felt in Galatians. <laughs> Right, like you, foolish believers, who has bewitched you? Like it's just, it's just pretty, like, eh, in your face. But he said in Galatians chapter one, he said that God set him apart before he was born, and called him by the grace of God, and was pleased to reveal His Son to me. This, I mean, literally, this is what Paul said: God set me apart before I was born, and who, and who called me by His grace was pleased to reveal His Son to me. What does that mean? I mean, think about Paul's life for a second. What happened in Acts chapter 6 and chapter 7? There's this guy by the name of Stephen. And Paul was also known as Saul. Now, in Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 through 16, Paul, said, Paul talked about how he, he wanted to study the law of uh, the, the Old Testament, and he wanted to be... Uh, you know, he, he wanted to be a very good Pharisee, is pretty much what he, what he said. And, and so he made it his ambition to be that kind of person. And so in Acts chapter 6 and chapter 7, that led Paul you know, to the place where Stephen was drugged out of the city and the people laid their garments at Saul's feet where he gave approval for them, these people, to take stones... Not pebbles, but stones to literally bash his brain in, Stephen's brain in, for believing in Jesus Christ. That this journey from the moment, from the moment Paul was in the womb of his mother to, that, to the stoning of Stephen was all part of God's determined will. Paul was there when he heard Stephen preach the gospel and it enraged Paul. He couldn't understand why anybody would believe this nonsense. And he thought it was a danger to people, so much so that after they stoned uh, Stephen to death, Paul made his way to to the next place to arrest Christians and to make life difficult on them, to, to persecute Christians. And that's where Jesus met him. Paul said that God set him apart in his mother's womb to be an apostle and all that time from the moment he was born to, that, to, to the moment of his conversion where he placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ was all a part of God's determined will for his life as God was molding and shaping him even at the expense of Stephen being stoned to death. God's is in the business of taking some of the ugliest things in, in, in our lives and turning it around for his good, for his glory, and for your good as well. And so like when James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote James, the epistle, he said in chapter 4, he said, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. That's the safest place to be, brothers and sisters. To be in the will of God. That is the safest place to be. Our identity is in Him. Not where we work not our family, not, not what you drive, or, or not any of those things, not your upbringing. Your identity, if you're a Christian, is rooted in Jesus Christ. And his will for your life is the safest place to, 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 to reside. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this prayer, our Lord's Prayer. God, we want your will to be done in our lives. At least, I think most of us in this room. (laughs) It's a hard prayer to pray, though, Lord. Because sometimes your will in our lives, for our lives, is not pain-free. It's wounding work. It's pruning. Sometimes it's painful. But you are our Father. You are Elohim. You are Yahweh. You are Adonai. And your will for our lives ultimately is for the renown of your name, not ours, your name, the hallowing of your name, not our name, your name. It's your reputation that matters, and that's good news because you're the God who keeps covenant. You are the God who does not need to improve upon being good. You're the God who has promised you will never leave us or forsake us. You have promised that you are the good shepherd. You will lead us even through the valley of the shadow of death. You will lead us to life. You have promised us that because we are redeemed through the blood of your son there is no condemnation for your children. And that's what we rest in, in your promises. Because within your promises is your will for our lives. That is ultimately good. And for that, God, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.